So Money episode 1043, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Friday, May 15th, 2020. How's everybody doing? We're settling in in New Jersey. My family and I, we are enjoying the grass. We're enjoying the neighborhood. Everyone's super friendly, waving hello. People actually talk to each other out here. (laughs) Back in New York, I didn't know my neighbors. I didn't know their names. Couldn't even identify them in a lineup but not in New Jersey. And I'm really enjoying using my kitchen. I have to say it's it was hard cooking in the apartment before we moved. I tried to cook as much as I could, save money, but man, nice to have room, counter space, and use my stove as something other than a storage unit. I'm excited to share that my YouTube channel is on a roll. It took a while. It was a bit of squeaky wheels in the beginning, but I'm on track to post one new video every single Tuesday. I'm holding myself accountable to this. And this Tuesday, we had a video called Extreme Money Moves. You know, a lot of financial rules that we've been living by are totally inapplicable right now, right? Pay down all your debt, save for a rainy day, ask for a raise. Well, if you don't have a job, then you can't pay down your debt. You're not asking for a raise. And now you're saving for an emergency in an emergency. So in this video, I offer some extreme money moves, things that some people are doing that are a bit out of the box. They're anti a lot of the advice that we typically give, like tapping your retirement account and just paying the minimum on your credit cards. But Honestly, right now, if that is what you have to do to keep head above water, I'm going to say it's okay. Who am I to tell you you need to just you know, stick with the old plain vanilla advice? It doesn't apply anymore. I'll be the first to tell you. I don't regret having asked for a raise, right? But right now, we need some advice that is a little bit more or a lot more realistic. And next week, I have a video on all of the things that I think are going to change as far as the way we give financial advice and the things that we're going to start valuing and not valuing post-pandemic when it comes to our finances. Firstly, I think we're going to start being more appreciative of the basics. The definition of a rich life is totally changing right now, right? There's not going to be as much FOMO on Instagram because your friends are partying on a boat in the Mediterranean. Like, good for them, but you're going to love the fact that you have a 12-month emergency account. Like, that is going to be your thing to brag about. Hopefully, a girl can dream. But yeah, I, I feel like In some ways, it has to change. I've been asking financial experts on this podcast, each one of them, how do you think that we're going to change in terms of the tone post-pandemic, the advice that we give? And a lot of them have been reluctant to say that things are going to change. Like, oh, we're still going to tell people to save for retirement. Yes, I think the broad strokes advice, live within your means, don't carry too much debt. Obviously, that's good advice. It's evergreen. But specifically, some things need to change. And I'm still figuring out what those things are. Let me know what you think they should be. But I'm working on that script right now and hoping to film that and deliver that next week. So stay tuned for that video. 
This week, we had an incredible lineup of guests. We had Scott Galloway, who's the host of Pivot on Vox Media on Monday. He's also an NYU professor, professor of brand marketing at the Stern School. He's on a number of corporate boards. Man, did he have some opinions. And a lot of you wrote in saying that you really appreciated that episode. I just let Scott go on the podcast on that particular episode. He has so many interesting perspectives and theories about what's going to happen to things like college admissions, the cost of college, the fate of millennial wealth. Can millennials actually get ahead or just not feel like they're entirely behind the financial eight ball because now they've experienced two financial setbacks at pivotal times in their lives. Once when they were graduating college, walked into a huge recession without any jobs. And now as they're in their 30s, trying to you know finally get ahead and pay off their loans and make more money boom, another huge financial setback. A lot of them are unemployed again. It wasn't all doom and gloom, but he's not here to be a ray of sunshine, as he told me on the podcast. He's not here to be a ray of hope, but really to offer some realistic perspectives on what's going to happen, even with business and commerce. And frankly, what he thinks the government should do in lieu of things like the Paycheck Protection Program. Very interesting stuff. That was Scott Galloway on Monday. And then on Wednesday, my friend Lydia Fennett, who works at Christie's as their lead auctioneer and head of brand partnership. She's the author of the book, The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. Lydia is a force. And she and I talk a lot about confidence and power right now at a time when we feel like we have neither of those things. (laughs) And how she in her career was able to ask for more and elevate herself, be her biggest advocate. It may not seem like super relevant advice right now, but trust me, it's a good one and you want to listen to it. So check out Lydia Fennett on Wednesday. Let's head over to the iTunes section to check out the latest reviews. Thank you to everybody who's been leaving reviews. There've been many over the last week. And I want to say thank you today to Sarah D, who says this podcast is essential listening for 20 some things. She says, Farnoosh has been such a comfort during these insane times. I'm in my 20s and I've been working on becoming more financially literate. And she's helped me understand exactly what I need to be doing with my 401k, investments, and savings. She gave me the confidence to really take a closer look at my spending. And now I'm more in control of my finances especially to my 20-something girls out there, it's time to take control. Yes, it is, Sarah. And great to hear from someone in the millennial cohort. You know, that's you're optimistic, you're getting a handle on your finances, despite what all the news headlines say that your generation is doomed. You are not. I take issue with those headlines. Thank you for writing this generous review. Glad the show has been helpful to you. Let's have a 15-minute money session where you can talk about whatever you want, pertaining to your finances, your job, life, email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. Let me know you left the review. I will reply. Or you can find me on Instagram, direct message me there. Let me know you're the Sarah who left the very kind review and I will be in touch. All right, let's head over to the mailbag. And by the way, thank you for your patience last Friday. I don't know if you saw me post on Instagram, but this episode was late last Friday. It didn't go up on iTunes until about 5 p.m. Eastern, despite all my efforts to get this up sooner than that. You know, it was going to be late no matter what. I was under the weather. I was moving. It was a whole really like wreck of a week. I woke up very early on Friday morning, 5 a.m., found a quiet space in my house to record 
the episode. My daughter came in about halfway through, got interrupted, picked things back up around 8.30 a.m. Eastern, finally finished it around 9, 9.30, sent it off to my editor. He had it done within an hour or two, posted it, I thought, online before noon, I thought, all right, well, you know, my batting average is, uh, I've been getting it up at like 3 a.m. Eastern every single day, every single episode. So I'm, you know, nine hours late on a week that is unlike any other. I'm going to allow myself this and not feel bad about it. Well, around 5.30 p.m., I just, I don't know, something told me to go check out my podcast on my phone app. And I was like, oh, that's weird. It's not in my podcast app. Then I went to uh, where I distribute the podcast online to my server and I was like, where is it? Had not posted. It was still in draft mode. I guess I had closed my laptop before it was completely done getting posted. So all that work and I was, I lost another five hours just because I was hastily trying to post it and didn't, didn't dot my I's and cross my T's. Oh boy. Okay. So felt pretty bad. Not, not this week. I've learned my lesson. Let's head over to the mailbag and see what's on your money mind. We have a question here from a friend who wants to know, where's the best place to park your cash right now? Looking for high interest rate savings accounts, high yield savings accounts, places that are offering deals. So look, right now, saving money is so important. We know this. Uh, Where we park our cash is an important consideration. Interest rates are not historically high right now, simply because we're in a low interest rate environment. So that means if you're a borrower, if you're going to borrow money for a home mortgage, car loan, things like that, you're winning because you're going to be able to borrow right now at a historically very low rate. Our mortgage rate, uh, 30-year fixed, 3%. That's in my lifetime. I mean, the last time I think we got to 3% was right around the recession and it was a very small window. 3% will take it. So rates are low. That also means savings rates are low, but you can still find better, quote unquote, better deals out there. I would recommend two sources for comparing yields on all the different different kind of banks out there from you know online exclusive banks to hybrid banks bankrate.com nerdwallet.com you might be able to get a high yield checking account for as much as 1.5 1.6% right now and if you are putting your 6 month rainy day reserve somewhere that adds up you know over the year that could be hundreds of dollars in interest savings I actually just got an email today from Bankrate because I subscribe to their savings rate alerts. This is for the week of May 13th. And here's their tip of the week. They say there's more to a savings account than the rate. Good point. When shopping for a savings account, the annual percentage yield may catch your attention first, but also important to consider things like fees, Read the details in the fine print. Is there a monthly maintenance fee? Is there a charge for letting your account fall below a certain balance requirement? If you're going to be going to the ATM a lot, make sure you know what the ATM fees are. And if you choose an online bank, this is according to Bankrate, check its customer support. Does it have live online chat and knowledgeable representatives to answer questions by phone if needed? So again, Bankrate is a great source for comparing rates at all the different banks, latest rates, also NerdWallet. I like NerdWallet a lot too. Thanks, Marie, for your question. Okay, Sam has a question here from Instagram as well. And it's regarding whether or not to volunteer to lay yourself off. So here's the question. 
Sam says, in this pandemic, I work as a project manager at an aviation-related manufacturing company. We are experiencing massive layoffs with airlines not having flights and money to buy products from us. My question is, should I ask for a voluntary layoff? My husband has a stable federal job and we have both invested in retirement and have about $175,000 in savings. We have a house which we rent. We currently live in an apartment closer to my work. We are currently living off of one salary. We had been planning to take a break this year and travel, uh, and I was going to quit my job. My husband was going to take a sabbatical, but again, the pandemic has really upended our plans. We have no kids. Um, I thought I could take a little break and try to start something new. Do you think it would be a good financial decision? So you might have been hearing me all along the last few weeks. People have been writing in asking about whether or not to start a new job right now, quit their job, start a new job, or quit their job, take some time off. Obviously, these people have financial cushions, right? You have, as you mentioned, $175,000 in savings. I'm going to take a guess and guess that's going to last you for well over a year, perhaps two years of your expenses. It sounds like you guys are pretty smart with your money and you're pretty conservative. Under normal circumstances, I would would say, sure, you've got savings. You can live off of one income. Of course, starting a business always carries risk. But if you've got a lot of your financial ducks in a row and you've got runway, we talk about that a lot on the show. A lot of times what helps entrepreneurs in the beginning is having runway. Sounds like you do have that. Then under normal circumstances, I would say, sure, it sounds like now might be your chance. Now's your chance to take a voluntary leave whether that's a layoff or a sabbatical, and do do the thing that you've always wanted to do. Right now, it's hard for me to say that with as much confidence. Um, I won't go so far as to say don't do it, but I think you really want to pause and think about the ramifications. I don't know what kind of business you're starting, and that's my first big question, is if you're looking to start a strictly online business, well, I guess you don't really have any barriers right now. You don't have to go rent a space, a physical space. You don't have to travel for this pursuit of starting your own business. Fine. If you can completely start this business from your kitchen with an internet connection, then I think it's worth toying with. The thing about voluntarily going to your employer and saying, hey, I want to get laid off is you might not get a severance at that point. You may or may not. It's to be determined. Um, And if they say no, now you're a target. The next time they lay people off, when it may not be a good time for you, you may be in that cohort. So there is a little bit of risk of disclosing that to your employer. It's a crazy time to be telling someone to quit their job. People, 20 million people lost their job, jobs in April. That's uh, the worst since the Great Depression. You know, we've basically erased all of the job growth since the last recession. So for me to say to someone, sure. Go ahead, quit your job. Even if you feel you have the financial capacity to do so, it feels poorly timed. If your company came to you and said, if anyone wants to volunteer for a layoff, we're going to offer you six months of pay. Well, then in that case, maybe, yeah, I'd say, okay, with benefits. And you're somebody who has a lot of financial runway and can afford to do this and start your own business. Well, then I think that might be a great opportunity. But to go preemptively and offer yourself up for a layoff when there hasn't been any discussion of a severance or a package, I think it's a little risky. I'd like for you to leave this company with something to show for it. And and I'm catching myself being pretty conservative here. You know, I like to tell people to pursue their dreams, to pursue their entrepreneurial pursuits. And I do think that at times like these, there are opportunities to start new things, innovate. It's like what happened during the last recession. 
bottom line, if the kind of business that you want to start doesn't require a lot of startup costs, you can do this from your home and you can really get a running start with it right now without working. It sounds like, yeah, yeah, it might be a good time, but I really want you to cash flow out the next 12 months. How far will this money and savings get you? Because remember also your business might require some startup funds, hopefully not a lot, but there is that to also budget for. I realize that was not a clear yes or a no, but it's a hard question to answer. And I don't want to be on the hook if it doesn't go well after you quit your job voluntarily in a pandemic. I don't want to be known for that, but I respect the question. It's a good question. It's a hard question to answer, but I hope I gave you some things to think about and let me know how it goes. Lauren writes into the So Money Podcast website with a question about what to do with the extra money now that they have after they've paid down their student loan debt. She says, my husband and I will be done paying off $200,000 in business school loans in the next couple of months. This is going to free up at least $1,900 a month. I say at least because for many months we paid over the minimum. We initially had plans to beef up our 401k contributions and our 529 contributions for our kids, but now I'm feeling confused if that's a good move given the state of the world. What are your thoughts? And there's some additional background. She says that they're in their mid to late 30s. They live in San Francisco. They have household income of about $250,000 annually. Her job is pretty stable, but her husband works at a startup, so that's a little in flux during the crisis. He already had to take a 20% pay cut. They do not own their home. They live in a family home where they pay below market rent to their in-laws. Not clear how long they can live here as it is a shared family asset, but it's helped us, she says, accelerate paying off our student loan debt. They have children, two small kids under the age of four. The kids have college savings accounts set up, but no recurring contributions. In theory, she says, we would love to own a home one day, but it feels pretty close to impossible given the cost of homes out here. We've talked about putting savings aside in the event a good buying opportunity comes along, but obviously saving for a house that's a million plus is not a short-term goal to pursue. All this to say, should we... This is the big question. Should we focus on building up cash savings that gives us options down the road or focus more on shoring up retirement slash college savings, even as the markets are tanking? So I think you answered your question, Lauren. You said, should we focus on building up cash savings that gives us options down the road? That sounds good to me. I think we all want to afford options right now because so many of us feel like life is being decided for us. We wake up one day, we go to work, downstairs in our underwear, (laughs) and we realize we're getting laid off, right? There's a lot of uncertainty right now uh, with, I'm sorry to laugh, but if I don't laugh, I cry. Uh, But there's a lot of uncertainty right now with regards to job security and the markets and where this pandemic is headed, how long are we going to be sheltering in place? I think savings is the priority, 100%. If you had already nine months worth of living expenses shored up somewhere and the income continued to come in and you wanted to now focus on saving up for a down payment on a home, great. And as you said, that's not gonna be a short-term goal met. But I want to throw some other ideas out there for you because here's what I'm forecasting post-pandemic. I'm an example of this. I left New York City 
a very high cost of living area. You live in San Francisco, similar, in some cases more expensive to live in San Francisco than in New York. I left New York City for a number of reasons. Pre-pandemic, I wanted to leave because the cost of living was too much. I wanted better schools for my kids and I wanted more room. I wanted more bang for my buck. I also wanted a Costco membership. To be totally honest, I wanted to shop at Costco and be able to and be able to put that stuff in my house and not use my stove as a storage unit. In the pandemic, all those reasons still held. All those reasons I wanted to move were still applicable. But now there was the sense of urgency to get out of a city that clearly did not have any reason why I should be living there anymore for the price I was paying, right? I was getting New York City cost of living without the New York City. And as far as the pandemic was concerned, as for as much as our hospitals were working around the clock, it was it's not a great place to be when there's a pandemic, right? A densely populated place where you're crammed in elevators and buildings and and then, you know, you're living in your apartment with two small kids and you can't leave. Like it was getting to a point where our mental health was at stake. So we left and so things got things accelerated for us. And I do think that post-pandemic people are going to be and currently people are leaving big cities that are expensive, especially because they want a sanctuary from the craziness that is living in a place like New York City and also the expense. Right. And so as you look and plan ahead, is San Francisco the right place for you to if we're going to be working from home more and more? Does it matter where you're living? If you want to become a homeowner, why put a square hole in a round peg? right? You make great incomes, $250,000 a year. That's three to four times more than the average household income in this country. So you're above average and yet you cannot afford a home where you live. You cannot afford to buy a home where you live because you live in San Francisco and prices there are just completely out of whack. So you might want to think about moving down the road. We're very glad that we moved. And like I said, it was already in the cards for us pre-pandemic. But once the pandemic became a thing, we realized we wanted to move even sooner. We want our lives to change even sooner. So lots to think about, but I do think that option A of saving your money right now is most important. And lastly, Sarah is wondering if I have any personal finance courses for teens that I might recommend. Uh, She wants to incorporate this into her curriculum next year. Awesome. She says, I want my students to have the money skill sets needed when they leave high school and either start working, go to college, or pursue careers in engineering, fingers crossed. She said, thank you. You've made a positive difference in my life, and I hope I can pass this along to my students. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Maybe I should start like a So Money for Teens. Hmm. I think I'm going to do that. I love when my audience tells me what to do. So I don't have a course on this, but I can guide you. I like to recommend my friend Susan Beecham's company, Money Savvy Generation. You can go to msgenmsgen.com. And she has resources for all age levels, starting as young as I think five even maybe younger than five. I mean, she starts with the Money Savvy Piggy Bank, which my kids have. And as they get older and they can read, she has books and she has you know, actually she has curriculum in schools. Uh, She's in the Chicago area. And I know that the state of Illinois has really taken on her curriculum and banks have also taken on her piggy banks. So that's a great resource. And she's been doing this for a gosh, like 20 years. So she's really, she knows what she's doing. And I think what I wish I had when I was a teen in high school, when it came to things like 
managing money and not being intimidated by money. And I always thought like the stock market was this very obscure thing and only like people who were really good at math could excel at it and make money off of it. Unfortunately, that's what I felt was true. It wasn't like someone ever told me that straight up, but I always, that's just what I thought what I thought because I watched movies like Wall Street, you know, and anyhow, I think what would have been really helpful for me was to have a job in high school, which I did have a couple of jobs, but not long enough to really do something substantial with that money to even know where that money went, but to have a job and, and maybe even to practice being an entrepreneur in, in high school. I had a friend, Ben, who was always coming up with ideas and he was always running the fundraisers. And now he's excellent with money and he's very good at making money. And he's in your classroom as part of the curriculum, incorporating some sort of business activity where they work together on a business plan. They try to make money whether that's running a bake sale or a car wash and then you know really understanding what it makes to like make money and then when they get paid to actually go through the work of like how will you budget this let's say every child in the classroom has an imaginary budget of you know $2000 a month and remember that Cosby show episode where Theo was like, dad, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to get like a regular job and I'm going to just be fine because I'm going to be able to cover all my expenses. And his dad kind of went through the exercise with him with monopoly money and was like, okay, let's say I give you $2,000 a month. The government's going to take away 30% of that. And then you have your rent and then you have your food and you want to buy a nice jacket. Well, now you have $2 left for the month. And I think that's like, for me, I mean, I remember that episode and I think going through things like that, real hands-on stuff could be memorable at the least, life-changing at the most. Um, So I encourage you to do that and not so much stick them in front of like an online course they got to have hands-on material as well. And I think it's great that you want to open up this conversation with them at this age. So important. And that is a wrap, my friends. Thanks so much for your questions. As always, check me out on Instagram, doing a lot of behind the scenes there. I've got YouTube now. Subscribe to my YouTube channel where I'm doing one fresh video a week and keep the questions coming. Thanks so much for tuning in again. Hope your weekend is so money.